Let's read together Exodus 35, 4 through 9, and 36, 1 to 7. And then we'll jump in to our time in the Word today. Exodus 35, 4 to 9, and then 36, 1 through 7. It says this, Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and, and onyx stones and stones for setting for the ephod and for the breastpiece. 36, verse 1. Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. And Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. And they received Moses, received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task in the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command. And word was proclaimed throughout the camp. And this falls into the category of things you will never hear your preacher say. (laughs) Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. So there was a missionary family who was going from church to church trying to raise support. Wonderful people, well-loved, well-known by the congregations they were going to. But at each church, they kept hitting a wall and weren't making any forward movement or progress in raising support. The churches they were visiting continued to refuse to help them, one after the other after the other. They kept racking their brains, trying to ask for God's direction, struggling with why they weren't raising any support when they'd known these people, and many of them had been helping them in the past. When one day they figured out the problem, they made one little change, and churches began suddenly to support them, one after another after another, left and right, generously and plentifully, these churches began to support them. And the one little change they made, it wasn't in their delivery, It wasn't in their presentation. It wasn't in the ministry strategy. It was this. True story. They had been driving an old, cheap BMW. Beat up old, small little BMW that hardly fit their family. An old thing from decades ago. And as soon as they traded down to a much larger minivan that ironically, cost twice as much as this old BMW, the financial support started to flow. Every church they go to 
suddenly begins to support them. The churches didn't trust the missionaries because, well, I mean, like as we all know, right? People who drive BMWs already have everything they need. They don't need our money, right? Well, of course, that's not necessarily true at all. In logical terms, that was the inner narrative that drove their decision-making as to why they would not support this family. Which is to say this. These churches were operating from a scarcity mindset that refuses to give out of personal fear. You see, a scarcity mindset of fear always feels like it has too little of everything. Too little money, too little time, too little food, too little personal relationship, too little power, too little control, too little personal significance. A scarcity mindset is constantly trying to fill this inner vacuum of unfulfilled personal needs. Someone struggling with a scarcity mindset never has enough and is never satisfied and is always seeking from food or work or people a personal comfort and a safety uh, that is desired and manipulated and perverted from people and from food and from all the things around us that are resources we call our own. But guess what? Scarcity mindset means those things never come. A scarcity mindset means those things never seem to come. These churches were operating in their assumption about these missionaries uh, from a scarcity mindset. And listen, it's not just them. It's all of us. We all struggle with a version of this in our own lives. Some of us more than others, but we all have something like a scarcity mindset. We all struggle against operating from these assumptions in life. You see, here's why. Our hurt and our pain. Our hurt and pain become for us this internal functional justification for hoarding resources as insulation against more hurt and pain. Our hurt and pain from the past become for us this internal functional justification for why I hoard for self as an insulation that doesn't work against more hurt and pain. You think I'm making this up. It's real, y'all. It happens in all of our lives in a whole bunch of ways, crazy ways, silly ways, funny ways even. This past Thursday, I'm at Thanksgiving dinner and, uh, you know, we're praying and no lie. My thought is I can't wait to get to those sweet potatoes. <laughs> so as soon as we're done praying, what do you think? I'm, I'm like, the first thing I go to is sweet potatoes. Don't make sure to get those first before they're out. That's scarcity mindset. That's scarcity mindset. And then I went to the normal mashed potatoes that are over there, too, because those are second best. And I had this sort of like, okay, yeah. (laughs) Scarcity mindset. It really is. Like Halloween candy is the same kind of thing. There's a reason why everybody grabs the Snickers and the Reese's and put in whatever your favorite candy is, grabs those first, 
And then every time you look at the Halloween candy in a month or two, it's always like taffy and circus peanuts and gross stuff. Right? It's silly, but it's true. That's a scarcity mindset. It's other things, too, because three musketeers are way better than circus peanuts. But it's, it's, it's a version of scarcity mindset. And listen, this mindset is a struggle for all of us. It's a struggle for the Old Testament people of God. It's rooted in fear. And it has a long history that goes way back uh, for the Old Testament people of God in Exodus. This is a struggle for them, just like it is for us. So before we jump into Exodus 34 and 5, let me give you a little context so that you understand some of where the scarcity mindset comes from uh, for them. To make a long story short, um, they had everything they could ever need and more when we see them in the Old Testament, uh, especially in Exodus here. They had everything they could ever need and more materially and spiritually, but they thought, they felt like they had good reason to live from a scarcity mindset. They thought and felt like they had every good, logical, protective, wise reason to grab for self all along the way to live from this scarcity mindset. Here's, here's how this happened. This is how this takes shape. Not only had God saved them from hundreds of years of slavery to an Egyptian king, but as they were escaping, they plundered that same king and instantly went from having nothing to having everything And not only that, but along the way as they're in the wilderness, journeying toward what's called the promised land, the Lord provided food, gave them victory over an enemy, and continued to take them toward the promised land where safety and security was going to be there. But that still, all of that along the way, plundering the Egyptians, having everything, victory over enemies, plenty of food, the promise of continued safety that was going this way, just like it had been, was not enough for them. They were still full of scarcity mindset fear. So here's what they did. And I want you to catch the irony in this before we get to Exodus 35 and 6. What they did was rooted in a scarcity mindset. At exactly the same time that God was giving instructions to them for how to build a a, a portable temple. It's called a tabernacle. It's a portable worship tent of sorts. Um, Right at the moment when they are getting instructions for taking up an offering to build this tabernacle, they instead take up an offering to build a golden calf, an idol which they ended up worshiping. That's what fear and scarcity does. They had experienced everything they could ever need and more materially and spiritually. But instead, ironically, of using their resources to build a tabernacle where they can worship God, they built a golden idol And began to worship it. Which is to say that they stewarded God's stuff for self. As a form of trusting self. Instead of stewarding God's stuff for God's glory. This is is what we do all the time in life. When we struggle against a scarcity mindset. Now, with all that context in mind, (laughs) we come to Exodus 35 and 6, which is a positive picture. It's not scarcity. This is abundance. Despite the fact that the Israelites had everything that they could ever need spiritually and materially before in that scarcity mindset, they learned their lesson. 
And they began to live, at least for a time, from what we're calling today an abundance mindset. And what we're going to see next is 35 and 6 is an example for us. It's a picture of what the Old Testament people of God did when they learned from scarcity and lived from abundance instead. Jump in with me at 35, starting at verse 4, where it says this. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is spoken to everyone, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. He says, take from among you, in other words, from among the people, in other words, from the stuff you already have, take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Now, verse 5, Moses speaking to the people, take from among you a contribution to the Lord, whoever is of generous heart, um, a good translation would be whoever's of willing heart. Uh, some of your versions might say that. If you look back at Exodus 25, it talks about the same kind of stuff, but it says uh, whoever is moved enough to give. So that's the idea here of the generous heart thing. It's not just like an inner like thought or feeling. It's an actual behavior outward. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. And then it lists a whole like, bunch of cool things here gold silver bronze blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine and linen that's like the best stuff uh goat's hair tanned ram skins goat skins acacia wood it's like the fanciest most wonderful wood oil for the light spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense like bring all the essential oils there Onyx stones, stones for setting, uh, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. Those were uh, clothing that the priests would wear. Listen, y'all, this tabernacle wasn't going to be put together with like secondhand thrift store stuff. It called for good stuff, which meant that these people had to reckon with, reckon with what they were going to give. They, they had to think like, oh, they want acacia wood. Whew. Fine. Oh, Fine twine linen. I can, I can part with my essential oils, but I don't know about the fine twine linen. Which means they had to reckon with intentional personal sacrifice if they were going to have a willing heart that gave. The people were willing to wrestle with the intentional personal sacrifice involved to be a part of the contribution. And they were willing because they had just been in the presence of God. They had a keen sense of forgiveness for sin. That's definitely what the Israelites had been experiencing after previously misusing uh, their stuff to worship the golden calf, right? It's like anyone who's been in the presence of God and has a keen sense of forgiveness from sin will take their work and their contribution seriously and think about it intentionally, which is what they had to do if they were going to be a part of the contribution. Listen, friends, as we like to say around here as one of our seven habits, when you pursue generosity, when you give from a place of gladness that reflects God's goodness to you and to take care of you in ultimate terms, you don't think haphazardly (laughs) about your contribution, about the use of your life's resources. You are intentional because you believe at root that everything you have and everything you are is a gift of of God. It comes from Him. And so you wrestle with it as an intentional act of worship. You're intentional. It's called first fruits. It is not haphazard. It is planned. It is intentional, personal sacrifice. And what keeps us 
from wrestling with the intentional personal sacrifice that's actually involved in whether it's a free will gift or what we call tithing, which is another Old Testament concept that is not this. Scarcity mindset is a haphazard, leftover approach that can mean a lot of things. Let me meddle for just a second. For some of us, it can mean receiving raises for decades in our jobs and never wrestling with how that changes our giving. Scarcity mindset is what refuses to have an actual conversation, perhaps with your spouse, about giving, which means functionally you're going to end up doing not an intentional planned sacrificial gift. You'll do accident. You'll do haphazard. You see, generosity is not accidental. It is purposeful. Generosity isn't generosity unless it's lived, behaved, acted upon. If you feel it, but don't act on it, that's not generosity. Generosity is something we pursue because the tendency of our screwed up hearts is scarcity. That's the tendency of our screwed up hearts. Let's be real about what's on the inside of us. Every one of us in our best thinking ended up in condemnation before God. Which is why generosity is something we have to pursue. We have to be intentional about it. It's not accidental. Scarcity is our mindset is what becomes accidental, not thoughtful, not careful, not wise, not stewarding. Actually, I'll I'll go ahead and go even further. If scarcity is our mindset, we will always end up worshiping a golden calf. The tendency of our hearts is to worship self. Scarcity will eat up all of your life's resources if you're not intentional and you're not careful. And the people of God in Exodus finally had learned their lesson, at least for a time, and they were being generous. And what we're reading here in 35 and 36 is a picture of what happens when you begin to live from an abundance mindset. An abundance mindset that knows, and we'll get to this eventually, that in Jesus you have everything, and it doesn't matter if you don't have food, if you don't have shelter, if you don't have clothing, if you don't have relationship. Guess what? In Jesus, you're going to be just fine. We'll get there again. But that's what an abundance mindset comes from. And a scarcity mindset calls into question a trust in God's provision for us in Jesus. And we see a picture of the opposite finally here for the people of God. Look at uh, Exodus 36, if you would. We're going to fly through these um, seven, seven verses here that are another picture. Um, they had already given lots of materials now. The materials were put in the hands of craftsmen, and it shows how they came together using the resources God had given them uh, for the purpose of God's work. It says this, starting verse 1, Bezalel and Aholiab, those are two listed craftsmen there. They're probably the foremen, the guys in charge of the job, maybe the architect, something like that. Um, Bezalel and Aholiab, and, and this next phrase is kind of like this one big, huge, long, hyphenated phrase. It's all together. Hebrew has things like that. Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary. Does that make sense? 
Let's read that again. Bezalel and Oholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. Moses called Bezalel and Oholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, comma, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work Stirred up hearts here is the same kind of idea uh, we talked about before in Exodus 35 of generous hearts. The same basic idea here. And they received from Moses, verse 3, all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. And this is the beginning of the part that we're going to call here the pastor's dream sequence. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task he was doing, and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. The workers are like, we got plenty, Moses. So Moses gave command, verse 6, And word was proclaimed throughout the camp. And again, this falls into the category of things you'll never hear your preacher say. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing. And look at this. For the material that they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. The material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. Now, here's the thing. And as soon as I say this, I, I know this is obvious, um, but it's worth noting. It's worth being aware of. It's worth seeing. They didn't have everything they needed to do the work and more when the generosity was theoretical. And on the inside. They literally didn't have everything they needed to do the work and more when it was theoretical and it was in their houses and it was kept to self. Which is to say the generosity unexpressed kept to self is not godly generosity. A thanksgiver is someone who willingly and thoughtfully gives of self so that something bigger than self will result. A thanksgiver is someone who willingly and thoughtfully gives of self so that someone else can experience the blessings of God. It's all the way back in Genesis. Blessed to be a blessing. That was the call from the beginning for the people of God. And when we deviate from that vision for our lives, we take on this scarcity mindset for self. But listen, y'all, God loves to use the combined efforts of his people like we see here in Exodus. He loves to use the combined efforts of his people to accomplish his work. Apparently, according to scriptures, it takes the combined efforts of people for us to do what he's called us to do for us to become who he's called us to become. 
I wholeheartedly believe in the church in part because I believe that God loves to see his people come together for a cause larger than any one of us individually. It's all over the scriptures from the beginning to end. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their toil. Iron sharpens iron. Let us consider how to stir up one another toward love and good works. When each part is working properly, the body grows. Let us not weary of doing good, for in due season we, plural, will reap if we, plural, do not give up. It's all over the place And if we will just zoom out and take stock of what we have and what he's called us to do, we will realize that it's way more than we think. If we will think, not just individually and scarcity mindset, but corporately and abundance mindset, we will begin to see that the resources represented in this room and in this body of believers our time, our talents and abilities, our financial resources, however you want to define all of that, the resources represented in the body of Christ are more than enough to accomplish what God has called us to do. We believe that God's called us um, to a pretty radical vision for us as a church. As most of you know, we're in the process of becoming what's called a multi-site church, one church in multiple locations. We've been talking about this for well over six months publicly. We've been working hard behind the scenes for two plus years to shift our model um, and to prepare for Sunday, February 24th. And this vision uh, of taking our main resource of people, this vision of taking our main resource of people to reproduce disciple-making environments at other locations, at campuses all over this county, is really a big (laughs) vision. It's a big vision. And it's the kind of thing like here in the pages of scripture is going to require people to come together and to believe in the truth of the message of today, which is that we already have everything we need to accomplish what God's called us to do. And a scarcity, individualized mindset will keep you from participating in what God wants to do. And here's the difference between scarcity and abundance. The person who follows Jesus and who understands what they have in Jesus always has enough. That is abundance mindset at its root, at its foundation. The person who understands who Jesus is and what they have in him always has enough. They always have enough food even if they don't have food. They always have enough clothing and shelter and relationship and personal care, care, even when they have no clothing, no relationship, no shelter, no personal care. If you follow Jesus, you must understand this. Like when he said, I am the bread of life, I am the way, I am the water of life, I am the gate, I am, I am, I am. When he said all those things, like, I am the bread of life, he wasn't just saying, I will provide for you bread. He said, I will be your life. Even when you don't have bread, shelter, clothing, personal care, all of those kinds of things that we call needs 
He has ultimately and forever fulfilled for those who understand an abundance mindset. That's real for them. When you have Jesus, you always have enough and more because you live from the abundance of the truth of the grace of God to save you from all the suffering of this life and from the mindset that you never have enough. When you follow Jesus, your mindset of fear and scarcity can be transformed into a mindset of courage and abundance. That's what having Jesus does for us. We go from fear and scarcity and never having enough and anxiety and and, and all of the things for which we grab and and, and wrestle and, and pervert in relationships and material things around us to a place that has courage and abundance and forever relationship that knows that you will be okay. No matter what life throws at you. No matter how hard the suffering. No matter how difficult the job. No matter how impossible the task. No matter how tense your marriage. No matter how abusive the relationship. No matter how terrible the diagnosis. No matter the ongoing frustration of all of the circumstances of your life combined you believe you've got Jesus, you believe it's going to be okay. Those who follow Jesus have a mindset that comes from the blood of Jesus that is courageous and goes through life with abundance because they know they have everything and more. And thanksgivers who pursue generosity in active terms, in practical terms, and not just as a theory on the inside, are those who actually believe this truth, that Jesus is enough. You see, only when we really believe that God is good to us in ultimate terms, no matter what happens, only when we operate in life from this abundance mindset, will we be free to be radically for someone else. It is a scarcity mindset that keeps us from being involved in the greater work of God, where our lives get to be used like Jesus's as a sacrifice for the sake of someone else. Because guess what? You've already got Jesus. And some people don't. And it is living from an abundance mindset that frees us to live radically and sacrificially for the sake of somebody who doesn't. That's what a witness looks like. That's what when we get out of individual and scarcity into corporate and abundance, that's what can happen when we join in the work God's given us. For which, by the way, we've already got everything we need. Let's go ahead and pray, friends. Lord God, we are forever grateful to you because of the awesome truth that you're a God who loves us and provided for us in your son Jesus in ways we couldn't possibly for ourselves. Lord, we love you for that awesome truth. We want that truth of your grace and mercy for us to be the foundation of our lives from which we live so that we could see your work in us so that as we give ourselves uh, to your call on our lives, to your purposes for the world, 
Um, we give ourselves to a vision of using our resources for your glory, Lord. You would, you would make of us corporately something that uh, brings you glory and that demonstrates the kingdom and that shows those who don't believe you that you are real and that you provide for everything we have. Give us, Lord, the strength and the courage to continue to live with faith and strength and courage in difficult circumstances so that we needn't pervert relationships, misuse resources uh, from a scarcity mindset of self, but that you could use us, Lord, as a witness to the truth that you're doing something uh, that is far more abundantly awesome than all that we ask or imagine. Lord, that's a, a big prayer and a big vision, but we want to be a part of what you're doing in the world. So continue, Lord, to teach us how we might participate meaningfully in that work. In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.